Hello and welcome back to Season 6 of the Referendum Podcast, brought to you by FinFlamSports.com with your host Big John and lead analyst Jesse J. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Big John with the Professor Jesse J. And we got a hell of a show for you. A tremendous wildcard re- weekend over the past couple of days between the Browns and um, the Browns and Texans, Dolphins and Chiefs, Packers and Cowboys, Rams and Lions, Steelers and Bills, and the Eagles and the Buccaneers. Uh, an exciting, exciting weekend and huge surprises that took place that most people didn't see coming. Um, Jesse? What did you think about it? I mean, first of all, how are you doing? What were your initial thoughts out of all the games? What, what was the, the key component uh, out of all the games that you're like, okay, well, this is the theme of these of these playoffs of this wildcard weekend? So starting with the Browns and the Texans, I think this one to me was one of the more interesting games of the weekend, just because it's a Cleveland team that's a veteran. They're a veteran team with a veteran quarterback. The their quarterback position has been cobbled together together all year. And you have the Texans, who are a young team, young quarterback, young coach. And it was interesting to see how this game was going to play out because the Browns are a type of team that needs to win now. The Texans, this is their window opening, probably even ahead of schedule. And when you look at this game, it was 24-14 to 14 with the Browns driving. Joe Flacco just throws up a pass he shouldn't have thrown. It gets returned for a touchdown. And that was basically the end of the game. He then threw a pick six on their next possession. I think. Oh yeah, just just to finish up that point, I think this game showed how much growth the Texans have. But I am wary of how big the win was, just because I think if you look at this game, it was twenty four to fourteen with the Browns driving. The interception happens, happens, and then the game just fell apart for the Browns. I think the Texans are a good team, but they're going to face a real challenge with the Ravens coming up this weekend. Listen, I've been worried about the Texans for all season. Primarily because of something we've talked about several times, and that's the fact that the offensive line for the Houston Texans is not good. You couldn't tell that in this game. There was no pressure on C.J. Stroud at all. At least to me, I didn't see any. Miles Garrett just disappeared. I, I'm like, I'm utterly shocked about of how bad he played in this game. Joe Flacco was the worst player in this game. Miles Garrett was number two. I don't think there's any combat. There's there's no combating the fact that both players who played at a at a extremely high level over the past probably six games, five games, just collapsed. They disappeared. If you're the Cleveland fan base, you've got to be so heartbroken considering the fact that you went through four quarterbacks, still got to the playoffs, were favored to beat the up-and-coming rookie in C.J. Stroud, and just got demolished. Um, if I am their, their GM, if I am their coach, again, we still don't know all the details about what happened between Kevin Stefanski and Deshaun Watson and his injury. If I am their their head, uh, if I am their GM, if I am their owner, first thing I'm doing, I'm putting every resource into Deshaun Watson and making sure that he, the man's healthy when he comes back next season. CJ Stroud is a great quarterback thus far in his rookie season, but I still think if it was against Deshaun Watson, Deshaun Watson wouldn't have played that bad. I really don't think so. And probably I'm still prisoner of the moment of how Deshaun used to play because I was the biggest fan. 
but I don't think Deshaun Watson would have played this bad. I think so, we saw the game. Pretty pretty pissed about the fact that the Browns lost, and then in the, in which the manner they did. I'm sorry, just I, I, uh, just because Miles Garrett, you couldn't. Uh, it's so frustrating because you didn't see him really do anything in the game. Well, to get to that point, I think the reason why is that once the once the Texans get the 17 point lead, it then becomes about the Texans defense keeping everything in front of them, not giving up big plays. And the Browns having to dink and dunk down the field, and they weren't able to score again in the game. They got out of rhythm, and they weren't able to score again. Flacco had to throw the ball 46 times, and if you look at time of possession, it was 30. It was 35 minutes. It was 35 minutes, 26 seconds for the Browns, which means the Texans didn't have to throw the ball as much. C.J. Stroud only threw the ball. He was 16 21 for 274 yards, three touchdowns, and then they ran the ball 22 times for 76 yards. A lot of those runs were to kill clock late in the game, though. So if you look at it, the Browns were never fully able to take advantage of C.J. Stroud having to throw the ball 30 or 40 times because they got down so big, and it just completely took the Browns out of the game and they got flustered. I would say that the biggest star of the for, on the Cleveland side <clears throat> is somebody who, who I told you last week they better, they better watch out for, and that was Kareem Hunt. Kareem Hunt played excellent in this game. He did what he needed to do. He got two touchdowns. He got one rushing and one receiving. He did really good. And then after that, like you said, they disappeared. They collapsed. A devastating loss if you're a Cleveland Browns fan or if you want somebody, if you want, or if you're a fan and wanted to see them succeed and just win because they, the fan base deserves it. Shout out to Kareem Hunt for doing your job and you did, you did it really well. And the fact that I am tired of hearing people say halftime adjustments work. No, they don't. If that's the case, Kevin Stefanski needs to be fired. Jesse J, the professor over here, picked him in the award show as his coach of the year. That is not coach of the year coaching. By Kevin Stefanski. I'm not sure what happened, but he couldn't get them back on there. It's, I know it has a lot to do with the players, but you know what? Still, that that's, that's a bad collapse. That's a huge collapse if you're the Cleveland Browns. And Kevin would, Stefanski needs to be looked at for what happened because he didn't do a, a good enough job. And I am tired and sick and tired of hearing that halftime adjustments really do work. And in reality, they really don't. I would say, though, with Stefanski, they were driving down the field. It was 14. It was 24 to 14. They had a good drive going. They were probably going to get points. But then what happened? Joe Flacco just throws a duck. It gets picked off and ran back for a touchdown. It, that That's where the game changed. If you were the Browns, you're hanging around the game. You're in the game. You, you're probably going to get it to one score. And then Flacco just inexplicably throws the ball. He throws the ball up. He had Njoku wide open in the flat. Would have at least got five or six yards. He had him wide open. Instead, he just throws a duck. I think maybe he was trying to throw it away, but he just didn't have enough arm to get it there. Threw a duck, gets picked off, ran back for a touchdown. But that's kind of – that should have been the expectation with your four-string quarterback. I know Flacco had a nice run, but that like, that's the expectation that we should have had going into that game with the four-string quarterback. Obviously, I thought it would have been closer, and I thought the Browns would win just because of, of the spot they're in where they have a veteran team, and they this was kind of their moment. Everything was setting up. You win this game you would have probably have gone to Baltimore. And in this case, they would have gone to Baltimore. You, you're playing a division rival, and that's that's all you could ask for if you're the Browns. And it could have been a completely different game there. Yeah. It, it, it just it – just, that interception completely took him out of it. And then the Browns had to do what they didn't want to do, which is have Joe Flacco throw the ball almost 50 times. Well, on top of that, my argument against the halftime adjustments because they don't work, everything Jesse talked about right now was before the end of the, the – the second quarter halftime adjustments don't work unless what it's a close game because it's barely doing anything not well, good I, at all I, 
I would just say you saw the limitations of the Browns in this game. The Browns are not a team that has – they're not a great running team without Nick Chubb, but they're good enough. And you have to be a decent running team if you're going to have a quarterback like Joe Flacco. You can't ask a 40-year-old quarterback to throw the ball 50 times. And they got um, And those interceptions just really – they really dug the team a hole. And you could tell, especially after the first one, they lost a bunch of confidence and they knew they couldn't come back. Yeah, just a, a devastating loss for the Cleveland Browns. Um, that'll do it for that recap between the Browns and the Texans. Next, let's go to the Dolphins and the Chiefs. This game was set to be one of the coldest games in NFL history. Um, I've also been to two of the coldest games in NFL history, and that was between the Kansas City Chiefs versus the New England Patriots. And a, I think they were both playoff games and the Kansas City versus Pittsburgh Steelers. And that game still felt colder outside than it did in this game. And it was windshield was negative 27 degrees. So I don't know, but at least in the marker, they have it. They didn't have the wind listed as the code for the record, but I had it as I think top five or top six for negative six degrees or negative, negative seven degrees um, on the field. But the windshield in the bowl was negative 27. But this game, the Kansas City Chiefs beat the Dolphins 26 to seven. Um, this goes to what I've been saying the entire year. I gave Mike McDaniels a um, props last year because I thought he did a really good job. I thought he was a really good coach. He's just a snotty prick. He's not a good coach. He can't coach anything beyond somebody's talent. That's the difference between him and a coach like Marty Schottenheimer. Marty Schottenheimer could get the best out of you if even if you weren't any good. Mike McDaniels is not that coach. The Dolphins deserve to lose in this game. And they really hadn't beaten any team over 500 all year, except probably with the exception of one. Dallas. This goes, this, this goes to, to mirror what they've done all season. The Chiefs exposed them in the greatest way. Tua, Tua played as bad as Dak Prescott did. Not good at all. Go ahead, Jess. Oh, yeah. The, the, this is something we talked about all year, and it's something I've talked about with Tua, that the Dolphins had a chance because they could score points offensively, and if they got the right breaks, they'd be able to win. The problem is, though, when they do play those teams that are as good or better than them, they tend to fall flat on their face. The only team with a winning record they beat was the Dallas Cowboys, who got blown out in spectacular fashions. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later. The Dolphins in this game, they were limited by their quarterback. The one play they had was kind of a duck underthrown by Tua that Tyreek Hill was able to come back to and made a play on and scored a touchdown. But if you look at it, Tua, 20 of 39, 199 yards, one touchdown, one pick. You can't win with that. Their no. offense was non-functional. It was non-functional because Tua's a limited quarterback and there's certain things he can do. It is throw time, throw with timing and rhythm to a certain spot. And when he knows where he's going, he's good. Problem is the Chiefs got physical with him. They threw him off his timing. And we saw what Tua actually is, which is a limited quarterback with a limited arm who can't really move a ton. And I the think, Chiefs pull him out. I think that the Chiefs got into the Dolphins' head or they got into Mike McDaniel's head because, first of all, you have um, Andy Reid going against Mike McDaniel. Two offensive-minded coaches. Andy Reid is a far superior coach, in my opinion. I don't think Mike McDaniel is a good, is a good coach at all. Okay, there's that. And then you have Tua, who is getting recognition as a – possible MVP nominee. Mahomes is already an MVP in the, in the Super Bowl and in the regular season. You have that matchup. Then you have Tyreek, who is better than any wide receiver the Chiefs have. Then you have a defense on the Chiefs that is really good, but you have a defense who is extremely, that is extremely destroyed on the, on the Dolphins side. Bradley Chubb and some other guys weren't in. They didn't play. The thing is, I believe that the Dolphins allowed the Chiefs to get in their mind and say, we have to play the Chiefs game. Well, what also hurt the Dolphins is the fact that they didn't run the ball 
like they needed to. Every analyst, every analyst I looked at for the entire week said A-Chan was going to just run all over the Chiefs. Every single one of them. I didn't see one guy who said that. I didn't see one person who focused on on Mostert. They focused on A-Chan, and he did not get anything. I think he had 1.4. He averaged 1.4 yards the entire game. The Dolphins did not have a good game plan. They also, in my opinion, and I just said it, they allowed the Chiefs to get in their head, and the Chiefs just dominated them. The bad thing is, did the Chiefs really look good, or did they just expose a bad team? That's what I'm worried about heading into next week's game, but we'll get to that later. I think the biggest thing, I think the biggest thing people should take away from this game is that what do the Chiefs have to do to win? It is take care of the ball, don't commit dumb penalties. They had one dumb penalty in this game, although I would argue that Jawan Taylor blocking the back, that was just that wasn't a penalty. He got shoved in the back, and then and then because he got shoved in the back, he hit somebody else in the back, and they threw a flag on that. Other than that, this game would have been thirty to seven, and I think people would have looked at it a little bit differently. But I digress. This game was about the Chiefs just out physicaling Miami, and I think what we saw in this game is that you see a team like the Chiefs who it, it wasn't perfect and they had some drops and at times the passing game was a little bit on and off. Really, I think Mahomes played pretty well despite the fact he did. Uh, his receivers didn't really look for the ball at times and then Kelsey had a couple drops. Yeah, Travis Kelsey. Mm-hmm. But the Chiefs came out and they the first three plays of the game, they threw the ball. It sent a message to the Dolphins, we will throw the ball. We're not going to change our passing game just because it's cold outside. The Dolphins changed their passing game because it was cold outside. And what we saw is that they couldn't really throw the ball down the field. They didn't really have timing because the Chiefs got physical with the receivers and threw off the timing. And it ended up being a lot of check down throws and just wild inaccuracies from Tua the entire game. My player of the game of this, for the, and it's going to be on the Chiefs side, and that's Rasheed Rice. He had eight receptions for 130 yards, averaging 16.2 yards with one touchdown. He played excellent. Travis Kelsey, you just mentioned it. Um, there's still something wrong with Travis Kelsey. I don't think he's had a touchdown in the past 10 games or 11 games he's played. Um, something's wrong with Travis. I think it's still the Taylor Swift effect. Um, I will say I expected more from a Cole Hardman. You know why, especially? Because who was on the other side on the defense? Can you give me the name who I'm looking for, Jess? Is it Jalen Ramsey? No, Eli Apple. No, well, I mean, if you look at it, McCall Hardman had opportunities in this game. It's just one of them, he got held. One of them, he didn't really see the ball and the other one he just completely didn't look for the ball other than that he got open and i think i think if they play conditions that aren't maybe as i don't want to say i don't want to say cold but like i think if you change the conditions a little bit i think he'll be okay and i still think that he or maybe even mvs is going to have a chance for a deep ball in this in this in these uh in this next playoff game against buffalo but i think the biggest thing is that at least with McColl, he got open. And oh, out of everything, McColl Harbin averaged negative four, negative four yards. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, he had the reverse where he had negative four yards. But the, the thing that was encouraging is that Mahomes threw him three deep balls. They were all catchable deep balls. They just were a little bit off. You just hope that if you keep throwing it three or four times a game, you're able to hit it once. That's all I think the Chiefs really need out of McColl Harbin is we're going to throw you – two, three, four deep balls, can one or two of them hit? And if that happens, they're going to have a great chance to win. The fact that he was able to create separation, I think is a good sign. You just got to be able to connect on one of these. And I think they will. The fact the fact they kept throwing and taking chances down the field is a good sign because the Chiefs know they are going to have to at least hit one of those in one of these playoff games. And the fact they're willing to do it, I think is a good sign. I think it's a good sign that they're going to McCall Hardman because I think 
despite the fact he's not the most trustworthy player, I think he's at this point got more trust than MVS. I, I think overall it's a good sign. I think Mahomes played pretty well because I mean they they, they had I would say the Chiefs probably had about forty or fifty yards in terms of just drop yard passes. Probably yep. more. Probably, actually more, probably actually more. Yeah, it's probably actually more like sixty or seventy. But overall, I think you're the Chiefs. It's about taking care of the ball, limiting the penalties, and letting Mahomes kind of make one or two plays a game that is going to be the difference. And obviously, you got to lean on your defense, and they got to keep continuing to play at this level. If they can do that, they're going to have a chance in in these playoffs. Okay. Well, moving on. Let's go to the next game. Packers versus Cowboys. The Packers beat the Cowboys 48 to 32. Before we came on air, Justin and I had even discussed this last on the last podcast. Um, we didn't know what Mike McCarthy we were going to get. We didn't know which Matt LaFleur we were going to get, um, which made it very difficult for us to decide this game. We went back and forth. Um, I think we even flip-flopped several times throughout the podcast about this game. And the Packers winning 48 to 32 gave the, the Cowboys their worst loss in playoff history because they allowed so many points. Dak Prescott, I don't know what happened. You gave all this credit to Mike McCarthy for making you play like an MVP. CeeDee Lamb and you were not on the same page. Um, I don't know what was happening with that disconnect between CeeDee Lamb and, and Dak Prescott, but it was evident when you have Dak Prescott going over to the sideline and getting on CeeDee Lamb. And CeeDee Lamb is one of those guys who's not a confrontational guy. He takes it and he, how do you say, his retribution is on the field. He gets back at you by playing harder, by playing better. Well, I don't know if something happened over the past week where they just weren't getting along or they woke up on the wrong side of the bed this, that morning and it carried on into the game. It was not pretty. Um, Mike McCarthy got outcoached on every single level and his job should be in jeopardy. I made this post on Facebook on FinFlam Sports that, that the responsibility for this loss should not just go to Mike McCarthy or Dak Prescott or CeeDee Lamb, FYI, Micah Parsons played like shit. Um, but the blame should also go to Jerry Jones. Jerry Jones' ego has hurt the team so bad. It, it his, his ego has been the biggest detriment to that team. They have not progressed because of his ego, because of his mouth. Um, I think I'm going to mirror that before I let Jesse go with Bill Belichick in New England before he left New England. Over the past five seasons, what was happening there? He is not a good person. To, to make draft picks. He's a horrible person to pick any draft, any person in the draft, because they're all, they all come out trash. Well, Jerry Jones does not have the best guy in charge. They have no leadership. The difference between Mike McCarthy and Bill Belichick is Bill Belichick's actually a good leader. He's stern. Mike McCarthy's not. The players like him. They're not afraid of him. There is a huge problem, and Jerry Jones does not have that much time left. I believe that comment that I just said was echoed in the locker room after the game. He said, my time's running out, guys. I don't have much longer. Well, you know what? The sad thing is Jerry Jones has done that to himself. And it's going to keep happening if he allows these yes men to become their head coaches because he doesn't want to deal with anybody who can actually be a leader for this team. Because Micah Parsons isn't a good leader. Dak Prescott is not a good leader. Mike McCarthy is damn sure not a good leader. And C.D. Lamb has not been asked to be the leader. Um, there's a huge problem going forward and so many people are going to be leaving Dallas because they're going to spend so much money on these guys and give Michael Parsons his money, give CD Lamp over $30 million, decide whether or not they're going to give Dak Prescott a contract. Those are my thoughts on the game um, on the Dallas side, but go ahead, Jess. So this game basically came down to 
The Cowboys' execution on offense was not great to start the game. Their execution on defense was just non-existent. And we saw Jordan Love just pick them apart. I think the Packers showed how much talent they have offensively. They have, I think, the youngest offense in the NFL, and they showcased that with their young receivers. I think the thing, for me at least, is as well as the Packers played, I think some of it is because they just are really talented. Jordan Love is a really talented young quarterback. They have young weapons. I think a lot of it goes to the Cowboys just being out of position. There is a touchdown in this game. To I, I, I believe it was Luke Musgrave, wide open for a 38-yard touchdown in this game. Nobody was within 10 or 20 yards of it. Those are things you can't have happen in a playoff game if you're going to win. Turnovers, bad defense, bad coaching, that's what's going to happen. And when it, when it came down to hiring Mike McCarthy, the, while, yes, he's been a decent coach in the regular season, in the playoffs, it's been really bad at times, and that was with Aaron Rodgers in his prime. It you could see this thing going south. That Mike McCarthy, I think, is a, I think, he is a average level coach. The Cowboys, that, the Cowboys actually do have quite a bit of talent on offense and defense, and this was supposed to be the season for them where they were supposed to take the step. You you win this game against the Packers, and then you have a second home game, and if you win that, you go to the NFC Championship game for the first time in almost thirty years. They didn't do it. They lost this game. They got blown out. It's time to get rid of Mike McCarthy and get a real head coach. Mike McCarthy, I've said all year, he, he is, he's not the worst coach in the world, but he's not going to be one of these guys that makes a difference in a game like this. He, he's not a difference maker as a coach. And if he's not a difference maker, a lot of times it's hard to win with those guys because you get, you get in, in the playoffs, you need the smallest advantages in the world. And sometimes those smallest advantages can be the difference between winning and losing in the playoffs. And in this case, Mike McCarthy is not a difference maker, at least in my opinion. He's not a difference maker. And we're seeing that happen the last three times in the playoffs. They lose to San Francisco in the wild card round. Last year, they lose to San Francisco in the divisional round in a game they probably should have won. And in this game, they get flat blown out by a young Packers team where they completely outclass them. And Matt LaFleur coached circles around him. This should be the end of the McCarthy era. He, once again, uh, that's not saying he shouldn't be a coach in the NFL or that he's the worst coach ever. There's a limit to what he can do. And if you're the Cowboys, you keep asking yourself, why have we not won in almost 30 years? It's because you have had puppet coaches. The one coach they've had who I think has been who, – who has that type of leadership quality was Bill Parcells. But Bill, that was 2006. Bill Parcells wasn't in his prime anymore. It, to, me, it was, to me, it's like hiring Bill Belichick and expecting him to completely carry a team. That's not what Bill Belichick is anymore. And that's not what Bill Parcells is or was in 2006. Those guys, it's not to say they're not good coaches, but they're not going to be in their prime and they're not going to be the sole reason why your team makes the playoffs or can win a championship. You're going to need the talent and coaching to coexist. And in the case of Dallas, the last three years, it has not gone well in the playoffs. Bill Parcells um, was not the coach he used to be. You know, that comes that happens with age, right? Well, yeah. I will say this. Bill Parcells took that trashy Cowboys team and made it into a winner. He turned the entire team around. But because that you have a coach, I mean, you have an owner like Jerry Jones, who is so egotistical, who has been the biggest detriment to his team's success, we cannot look past the fact. And if he ever denies this, all we have to say is he fired Jimmy Johnson. Something you said earlier. I don't know if we were on, on air or not, but something you said earlier, and then who won the Super Bowl with Jimmy Johnson's team? Yes. Huh? It was Barry Switzer. He won the Super Bowl with with Jim, with Jim Brown's team, and then the Cowboys didn't get back after that. Exactly. And Barry Switzer was a coach, I believe, at Oklahoma. 
Yes. And I don't know if he, I don't remember, I can't remember as off the top of my head if he won a um, national championship, but he was more of a yes man, yes man, than Jimmy Johnson was. And that's why they clashed, those two, Jimmy Johnson and Jerry Jones. And then in 1996 or 1997, Michael Irvin has said repeatedly, he's like, you know, you get that feeling, you're like, it's over. It's over. Well, Jerry, it's been over for a long time because of you. And Dak Prescott, you're not going to find a better quarterback out there right now to turn this thing around. I will say, to Mike McCarthy's credit, he's won 36 games for the, for the Green Bay Packers. 36 games. But if you get a coach that goes in there, they're probably not going to win more games than Mike McCarthy did with you. But if they can take you further than the playoffs, that's the difference. And I think they have to really look at a guy like Jim Harbaugh or Pete Carroll or Bill Belichick. Those guys are leaders on the field. Mike Vrabel. And Mike Vrabel. I was going to say Mike Tomlin. Thank you. Um, but I believe Mike Tomlin has already committed to staying with the Pittsburgh Steelers, if I'm not mistaken. And, and just to get back to this point, to, to finish the Parcells point, which I think is a important one because they haven't had a like a high-profile coach like that since Bill Parcells. They fired Bill Parcells in Romo's first year as a starter. They had yeah. something. And if you look at what happened, they brought in Wade Phillips, who, not to say he's a bad coach, great defensive mind, but maybe not the caliber of coach. Well, I mean, not even maybe. He's not the caliber of coach Bill Parcells. Think of that. Think if that team had Bill Parcells with Romo as an emerging quarterback. That team probably at least gets to an NFC Championship game or Super Bowl. But because Jerry Jones did not, he and Bill Parcells did not see eye to eye, they get rid of Bill Parcells and they have Wade Phillips and it put him at a disadvantage in, in the playoffs when they, had, uh, when they had Romo in his prime. And then when they, when they got rid of Phillips, it was Jason Garrett who put them at a super disadvantage. Yes. So Romo's basically entire career. And it all goes back to the fact they didn't keep Bill Parcells because Jerry Jones and him couldn't get along. And that probably cost them an NFC championship game or Super Bowl appearance. Think of how long Romo had, or he was with the Cowboys. It was what, 10 years, I think. Yes. From 2006 to to 2015, because he got hurt in 16. And that's when Dak took over in that time. They only won, I think one playoff game. I, I believe they only won one playoff game. With Tony Romo, who's one of the better statistical quarterbacks in the NFL during that time period. And a lot of it goes back to coaching and what happens in the playoffs. In in the playoffs, you need a coach who's not going to put you at a disadvantage. And at the time, the NFC had a lot of quarterbacks. And the difference in the NFC was coaching. They had the quarterback. They did not have the coach. I will say this on the aspect of the defense for the, for the Dallas Cowboys. First of all, the Dallas Cowboys defense played like shit. Um, there's no denying that. Micah Parsons, stick to your day job. I don't think that you can play in the NFL. Honestly, I don't. Un- you were so lucky to be even considered for defensive player of the year. I didn't see it. I watched many of your games. I didn't see you do anything. I didn't see you bounce off the TV to me like Miles Garrett or Aaron Donald this year who picked up midseason. I didn't see you jump off the TV like Max Crosby. I didn't see you jump off the TV like TJ Watt from game one. <laughs> Listen, Seattle Seahawks have an opening for their head coaching position since they let Pete Carroll go. If I am Seattle, to be fair, looking at the performance on defense led by Dan Quinn, I would be hesitant in hiring Dan Quinn as my head coach because of the performance that he allowed his guys to do and the performance for which he didn't even try to change after each drive. Bad job. We're going to go to the next one, Jess. You got anything else to add? I think in general, just the Cowboys are disappointing. And 
in the sense that I, I think you can kind of tie it to Micah Parsons a little bit. I won't go as far as you would say he's not a good player. He had 14 sacks this year. He's a good player. But to me, Micah Parsons is great when things are going well. When things are going well and he can get after the passer, he's fine. It's about when you're down and you really need to make a play and playing through adversity. I don't think Mike Parsons is great at doing that yet. And it's a game like this where you're down. You need to go do something and make a play to flip the momentum of the game. Not one player on their defense even was close to doing that. Not at all. And I will say this. My criticism of Micah Parsons is solely on the football field. Um, I don't know the guy, obviously. Um, And he seems like a nice guy off the field. But he seems, honestly, like he does a better job doing something that he has said he's want, he wants to do once he's done with football, and that's become an analyst. He seems to be better at, at analyzing games than playing them sometimes. I think that's a fair assessment. But I just wanted to put that out there. Um, let's go to our next game. And our next game is a game that I honestly couldn't sleep because I was so excited for this game. It was... It reminded me of, of my excitement of watching the showdown of the Chiefs in their first Super Bowl in 50 years. I was getting a rush, and I didn't know why, but I I knew why. Because I'm a huge fan of both the Rams and the Lions. And this was a fight, a battle, from which you saw an actually clean game from each quarterback. They both played well. The Detroit Lions defeated the, the Los Angeles Rams 24-23. to The Rams lost by a point. Matthew Stafford is a bad motherfucker. He's a tough son of a bitch. He always has been. He always will be. He has a lot more football left in him. I give him six to seven more years. He played that well in a playoff game. However, Jared Goff and their defense played the way they should have, and they shut the the Rams out in the red zone. I think almost on every attempt. Um, And kudos to them. They did a very, very good job, the Lions did. Dan Campbell... When he first got through, he said he was going to change his entire organization around. People laughed at him. But you know what? He did. He got them their first playoff win in 30 years. And they hosted for the first time, I believe, in 30 years after they beat the Cowboys in 1991 or 1994, whatever it was. But they did great. Congratulations to the Detroit Lions. But I will say this. Puka Nakua, you are the fucking man. Matthew Stafford, you are the fucking man. Matthew Stafford won 25 for 36, 367 yards, two touchdowns. Puka Nakua, nine receptions for 181 yards and one touchdown. The most ever in a playoff game. He played really, really good. Um, the battle between both these guys, and you know, when Matthew Stafford came out of the tunnel, they were booing him or whatever else, and he seemed like that kind of fucked with him, uh, as I perceived later on in the press conference after the game. Um, the man has a lot of football left. The man... He got hit so hard in one of those plays, it looked like his eyes were in the back of his head. He got hit so hard. But what did he do? He did Matthew Stafford shit. He came back in the game and played well. They just could not capitalize in the red zone to score a touchdown. But they did score, I believe, with the exception of two times on every possession. But Sean McVay deserves a lot of credit. Him and I believe Raheem Morris, who's their defensive coordinator, for getting that young rookie defense for the, for the Los Angeles Rams into shape and playing the way they did. Um, Nobody expected the Rams to do anything this year at all. I did because I'm a huge Matthew Stafford fan, so I got a whole bunch of bias on that part. Um, And maybe I was just being extremely optimistic when I shouldn't have been. But they played excellent. They found a guy who's a fifth-round draft pick in Puka Nakua who played extremely well. They found a guy in Kyron Williams who played 
amazing. He didn't do the best running that he's been doing over the past eight games, but he played really well. He still got 13 carries for 61 yards. That's pretty damn good. Kudos to Sean McVay, Puka Nakua, the entire Rams team. I don't know if Aaron Donald's going to come back. I don't know what his contract situation is, but the way Matthew Stafford and Puka Nakua play together, they have a chance to win a Super Bowl together with Cooper Cup in the mix. Cooper Cup did not play well this game because they were all over him. Um, yeah, but Jesse and I have also discussed that Puka, uh, that Cooper Cup has not played the same since he's been back from injury. But sh- congratulations to Jared Goff, the city of Detroit. I love you guys. God bless you. I'm so happy for you guys. We know what it's like after having a 28-year draft and not winning a playoff game. So congratulations. Jesse, go ahead. So this game basically came down to red zone efficiency. The Rams were able to score basically one more touchdown. Than, or, I mean, the Lions were able to score one more touchdown than the Rams. That was basically the difference in the game is the Rams having to settle for field goals. Uh, in this game, I think we saw the Lions. This was an emotional game for them, and they were able to channel those emotions into a win. Uh, the Rams basically threw everything they had at them. I do kind of question McVay's late-game management is that they were close Excuse to field goals. I don't, mean, I, I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but when you say that, do you mean with timeout-wise or what? Well, there, there are two instances that were, that were kind of confusing to me. It was, I believe, the last possession they had on offense. It was third and 13. And instead of trying to maybe get half of it back or try to get some yards underneath for maybe a long field goal or at least to make the fourth down more manageable and something you might actually want to go for, they just try to throw it to sticks and it's an incomplete pass. They punt the ball and the game is basically over because the Lions run the clock out. And then when the, when the Lions did get the ball back, on the plus side of the two-minute warning – they let it go. They let the clock run all the way down the two minute warning and basically dared the Lions to throw the ball. And the Lions throw it, which I, it seemed like they didn't expect the Lions to be that aggressive. Lions throw it. Dan Campbell says we're throwing it. They, they get the first down, they win the game. I just feel like McVay at the end of the game was a little bit frazzled and some of his decision making I don't think was the best. That's fair. I would say that the Rams had a chance to. St- to score and to actually win the game. If it wasn't for Puka Nakua getting held um, when he's covered by two guys, there was clearly a grab and hold that twisted Puka Nakua on that third or fourth down that Jesse's, Jesse's talking about that didn't get called. Jesse and I had discussed this about five weeks ago that eventually there's going to be a play in the playoffs that's going to fuck a team. This is another thing that he and I have, have discussed repeatedly about how bad the officiating has become in the NFL. How much of how how big a part of the game it has become, the focus of it. Well, you know what? If you had a referee booth to say, nope, the game's too big, we can't allow this to happen because our guys didn't want to call it or they didn't call it, it's still a fucking foul. It still deserves a flag to be called. And that doesn't mean that the 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 Lions would have lost the game. They still had two minutes and fifty seconds left, but maybe the Rams could have scored. This is, I think if this is like about the outcomes of the game when they're decided by a flag, the Rams could have scored one more time. They could, they should have got the flag. Wherever that would have put them, position wise, I don't know. But they had a chance to either score in the red zone with the touchdown, or at least get a field goal to go for the lead as well. I think if this had been reversed, I think it would have been a much better deal. But because it's because it was against the Lions, who who a lot of people were rooting for, and because it's the Rams who don't have the biggest fan base, I think that's why it was kind of ignored. But to me, that is troubling how I think there was a couple there were to me were a couple different times where they were kind of grabbing Puka Nakua and they were. 
they kind of held off on the flags, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing because they're trying to let them play. But the fact it happened two different times and they were ones where I don't think there would have been much criticism had the flag been thrown. I just that's something we have talked about it all year that there was going to be a game or two in the playoffs where officiating was going to decide the outcome. I think this would have been a bigger deal had it been the Lions or had it been a team with a bigger fan base than what the Rams have. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to see if it happens again in the playoffs. Okay, so see, I hear your argument, but it's not fair. If you're telling me that they're doing this based off of a bias because of a fan base or a populist decision, that's not right. The game shouldn't be played that way. No, I, I, I'm not. I'm not saying that. I think the in terms of media coverage, it would have had the Lions lost that game because golf threw a pass to Amon Ross St. Brown. They clearly held him but didn't throw a flag and the Rams took the ball over and won. I think it would have been a big deal. It would have led sports center. It would have led all the talking shows the next day. I think because it was the Rams and because the Rams maybe don't have the biggest fan base and because everyone was rooting for the lions and it's a good story that the lions won. I think that's why it was kind of ignored. See, and I think that's unfair where I, and I hear you because the, they had a whole debacle between the, the Cowboys and, and the lions and the referees. But the thing is, the Cowboys, how do you say? The refs helped the Cowboys out. They fucked the Lions. But the Lions fucked themselves in this situation because they're the ones who grabbed the who grabbed Puka. And the refs fucked the Rams. That's the fucked up part is it's got to be called down the middle. And it's got to be corrected. If we call, come back in, into the into the season next year and it's still the same shit, why do I want to watch the games? I think my frustration is more the lack of consistency where sometimes you'll see just small tugs or something like that and they'll throw flags then sometimes you'll just see a defensive back run through a receiver and they won't throw anything i just the if there was more consistency and the players and fans had more of an expectation of what is or isn't gonna be a penalty i think people would be more okay with the officiating the fact is just so up in the air and it's basically like throwing a dart and throwing shit and see if it sticks against the wall in terms of your officiating that's not particularly great in my opinion okay the next one we have is between the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Buffalo Bills. The Buffalo Bills defeated the Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh Steelers 31-17. I didn't get to watch this game. I did look at the score, but I didn't get to watch it, so I really can't comment on it. Jesse, do you want to take this over? Yeah, I think this game is pretty simple. The, the Steelers were playing a third-string quarterback in this game, and he made the mistakes of a third-string quarterback. He threw a red zone interception. Uh, he had another interception to go along with that, and I believe they might have had a fumble in this game. Um so that was basically the difference in this game. It was 31 to 17. The Steelers threw a pick in the end zone. Basically, Rudolph, okay, he only had one interception, but they lost the fumble. Um, that that was the difference in this game. I mean, it, it was it was basically the Steelers playing with a third string quarterback. The, the one thing we didn't see is Josh Allen turn the ball over, so that's that's good for him. He didn't turn it over. Surprising. Uh, he had a long touchdown run in this game, and it, it, it was the Bills taking care of business. The one negative that came out of this game was they seem to lose a couple linebackers and one of the better DBs in Taron Johnson is in concussion protocol. So their defense looks to be a little bit banged up heading in uh, to the playoff game against, uh, against the KC Chiefs. But overall, I think just to summarize this game, it was the Bills taking care of business and the Steelers making the mistakes you would expect a team playing a third-string quarterback would make in a playoff game. Did Sean McDermott's job look like it's still on the line, like he needs to win the next game? So – I don't think they would fire Sean McDermott unless they get blown out by the Chiefs. If if they next week get blown out by the Chiefs, then I think they would fire Sean McDermott. 
Um, I don't think that's going to happen, but that is the scenario in which Sean McDermott gets fired is if they just get rolled by the Chiefs, a lot like what happened last year when they played the Bengals. If that happens two years in a row, you have to fire Sean McDermott at that point. I don't care that you recovered your season, you won 11-6, and six, you were the two seed. You can't twice get rolled in the divisional round at home when you're kind of on, you're teetering between rebuilding or maybe trying to just patchwork your roster so you can keep trying to win a championship. At that point, you either have to make a decision to upgrade a coach or just kind of tear the thing down and rebuild it. So that that is the one scenario in which they get rid of Sean McDermott is if the Chiefs just blow them out. I don't think that'll happen. That's not to say the Chiefs couldn't win or the Bills couldn't win. Right. Uh, but I, I just I think that's the one scenario in which McDermott gets fired fired is if they get blown out by the Chiefs. Okay. Well, I think that's a legitimate argument. Um and it doesn't help that the Bengals played at Buffalo in a fucking snowstorm last year. We don't know what the conditions are gonna are gonna be this week. They may say one thing about become something else. And if the Chiefs beat them, like you said, at their own house in bad conditions, Sean McDermott's gotta go. I didn't think I thought he should have been fired early this season, the way they were playing, the way he was coaching. But um I didn't watch the game, so I can't comment on it. Comment on it. Anything else on that game, Jess? Uh, no, I think I think overall it, it was it it was kind of what everyone expected, um, and it leads to a big game for the Bills. This is this is their divisional round game against the Chiefs is a make or break. It's do or die. You're either going to win this game and play for an AFC championship game or play for an AFC championship game and a chance to go to the Super Bowl, or you're going to lose and you have to really think about what you're going to do and what you need to do to rebuild your roster to try to get it to the point where you can play with a Chiefs team. So it, it, this is kind of a prelude to the real main event, which is them playing the Chiefs. One more thing before we go on to the next game. I did see that Mike Tomlin walked off stage after he was asked about his contract negotiations or his contract status for next year. And then I think you and I, or I had brought up the fact that um, he may have already decided to stay with the Pittsburgh Steelers going into the next season, but I'm not sure if that's official, but that is what I heard. Have you heard anything about that or no? Uh, yeah, I believe I saw something saying that he's expected to be back as Steelers coach. I think one of the things he gets frustrated about is that quarterbacks. Well, no, not just that. I think he gets frustrated about being asked about his coaching uh, status when he's made the playoffs as many times he had with with so much uncertainty at the quarterback position. You look at it, he made it with the course of Ben Roethlisberger and he made it with Mason Rudolph finishing the season as a starter. Like you don't hear coaches like Sean McDermott get asked about their coaching I mean, you've heard a couple people this season because they, they look like they might miss the playoffs for a minute. But you don't really hear as much about Sean McDermott as you do Tomlin when they were trying to fire him for making the playoffs with Mason Rudolph. I just I, I think he gets frustrated being asked that question given the fact he hasn't had a losing season and he's been winning with inadequate quarterback play. That's fair. And I think that's been the biggest problem where he hasn't become successful because, as you have said, in a great jab to Big Ben, he was a corpse in a, in a in a body bag. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, he just he's he's he was a he was literally a building running with legs, and if he gets hit and falls over, he's just going to turn into dust. Every throw he was making in 2021 looked like his arm was about to just fall off, and he made the playoffs with that guy. So that's a fair fair statement. Um, okay, next game and final game was last night's game between the Buccaneers versus the Eagles. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers defeated the Philadelphia Eagles 32 to 9. Um, Baker Mayfield threw for three touchdowns, 337 yards, and he went 22 for 36. Jalen Hurts, 
25 for 35, 250 yards, one touchdown. The Eagles have a problem. And in my opinion, it's Nick Sirianni and their defense. Now, who they get for their defensive coordinator coming coming out, I don't know. Um, but Nick Sirianni, it seems like the, the team stopped, stopped talking to him. It seems like the team, like like probably weeks week eight to week 10, somewhere between there, a huge disconnect happened between the team, the players, and the coach. I don't know what happened, um, but it just seems to be that way. You could see just on paper, it, it, it comes off that way. Um, and I don't know who they get as their head coach. But I also believe that Nick Sirianni puts on a front for the Eagles fans. I think he's an asshole, but I also don't think that he's the type of guy that should be representing Philly or he mirrors what the Philadelphia fans are. I don't think he is that. Congratulations to Baker Mayfield. I hope you get your check. You're playing with house money right now. You have every possibility to make as much as you want. The defense for Tampa Bay is underrated. They have Super Bowl champions on that team still. Between Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Vita Vea, who else is on there? Um, is it is it KJ Britt? I don't, it's one of the other guys. I don't remember. But they have a lot of experience. Or JD. They have a lot of experience on that defense that can just lead them to the right way. And I think their head coach is really, really good. Good for Baker. Go ahead, Jess. So this game basically came down to the fact the Eagles just kind of quit. I mean, they, they hung around for a little bit. But th- this was a game where they they just they did not look like a team that wanted to be there, and they looked like they had kind of given up. I think last year they were able to win, and it covered up some of the flaws Nick Sirianni had, which is that he he's an offensive coach, but he doesn't call plays, and their defense was old. They had a lot of veterans, but they they played a not great schedule, and the playoffs broke out where they got to play. They got a bye week. They got to play Daniel Jones. And then they got the 49ers and Brock Purdy got hurt in that game. So it ended up being Josh Johnson and then no quarterback. So they make the Super Bowl and they had a good team. They gave the Chiefs a great game, but they lose, they lose the Super Bowl. And then this year, they haven't looked right at all. And to me, you look at two teams. You look at a team like the Chiefs and the Eagles. The Chiefs have not looked right most of the year. Eagles not look right most of the year. The Chiefs are still playing because they were able to – they kind of figured out who they are, and they were able to make some changes. Well, it's not perfect. They're able to adjust. The Eagles had no adjustments. And really, it started to go downhill after that Chiefs game that they were shockingly able to win because that was one of the games where they were able to make a few plays at the end, and the Chiefs offense couldn't. The Eagles win that game. So that was one of those moments where you thought, okay, well, maybe the Eagles turn around. It ended up being the worst thing to happen for them because Nick Sirianni and that entire defense basically started going off uh, there's the video of Nick Sirianni talking about Chiefs fans or talking trash to Chiefs fans. And basically since that moment, I believe they finished the season two and six and got blown out four times. That's the sign of a team losing games to teams like the 49ers, teams like the Cowboys, teams like the Giants who were terrible, and then just quitting on the season. That is what happened. They lost a few games. They got blown out. Instead of adjusting, they didn't. The players saw that they couldn't adjust and they had no answers. And then they quit on their coach. If there's any way, if there's any way you can get fired after going to a Super Bowl, it would be a team quitting on you the next season. And in this case, I don't think they're going to fire Nick Sirianni, but if they do, it's because they have reasonable calls because that team absolutely quit on him and his entire staff. They did. And I think what we saw is that Nick Sirianni isn't the type of coach, at least in season. Maybe if they replace their coordinators, they can do it. But in season, he was not able at all to make any adjustments. In fact, the one adjustment he made was firing the defense or reassigning the defensive coordinator and promoting Matt Patricia, who I just don't know what he's been watching. 
the last five or six years. Why would you promote Matt Patricia to your defense coordinator? And their defense got absolutely cooked. On the other after, side, after after you have after you have the entire defense saying, "Well, I learned it this way. I was taught to do certain things this way now," but now you come in midway through the season and say, "Okay, well, you're going to do it this way now." With Matt Patricia, to your point. But it's, that's not even the worst part, Jess. It's the fact that you kept your same fucking defensive coordinator on the fucking staff. I, they just, they, they, that's, it screams you have no idea what you're doing. And I, I go Andy back. Reed, Andy Reid fit Philadelphia. Doug Peterson fit Philadelphia. Nick Sirianni, to me, I think is a phony. He does not fit in Philadelphia. I think, I think he fits more with Philadelphia fans want. Like, I don't think he fits Philadelphia, but I think he fits what Philadelphia fans want, which is they want someone who's brash, arrogant, and going to talk. The problem is when things aren't going well and you continue to keep that bravado, then you just become kind of a jackass. And in this case, he was a jackass. Well, and, and I would say that I, I also think I've said it already. I don't think it's just that I think that he has a disconnect with the fans. But you make a good point. They do like that, but it's not genuine. It doesn't come it, off genuine to me. Exactly. And if you look at what happened, it's just I go look at the offense. Their offense is basically run the ball, touch push, and take shots down the field. If those three things don't work, they can't really move the ball. They, they just – Jalen Hurts regressed. Jalen Hurts – he also looked hurt during the season, and they kept running him. And if you look at their – just everything about their offense got worse. And then their defense was just a complete disaster. And if you look at the other side, a team like the Buccaneers, who it wasn't smooth for them, they went 9-8, and eight, they barely beat – the Panthers in the last week of the season to make the playoffs. But you can tell they have faith in their coach. They have faith in their quarterback. And what happened? It rewarded them with the playoff win. They completely outclassed the Pan or the Eagles. The B the Bucks outclassed the Eagles on offense, defense, every way you could. Well, and this is not even to mention what's going to happen next season, Jess, because Jason Kelsey's gone. So they're tush pushed. They're, they're, how do you say their silencer, their signature move is not going to be as strong without a guy that big who is that strong to lead Jalen Hurts to where they need to go. And there's a lot of defensive players, I believe, on Philadelphia's defense that are going to be leaving this year. I also think they're going to have to make big, it, seemingly how the season ended with A.J. Brown. They're either going to have to make big changes or they're going to have to get rid of Nick Sirianni, I think, to fix and remedy that situation. It seemed like that that relationship went sour towards the end of the season. And if you look at Jalen Hurts and Nick Sirianni, it looked like that relationship kind of fell apart. That team, uh, they, it feels like they really kind of need an adult to me. Once again, someone like a Mike Rabel, I would go get them if I were the Eagles. You need an adult. Yeah, I agree with that. Okay, well, um, you want to... Oh, well, yeah. L lastly, just to sum up the Bucks. The Bucks are not the most talented team, but they do have, like, they have good offensive weapons. And they have experienced defensive players. They're a team that I think they have a tough challenge going into Detroit, but that's one of those games where it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see because Detroit came off such they're coming off such an emotional game, and you have a team like the Buccaneers who are playing with a little bit of confidence. Sometimes all it takes is your quarterback to play with some confidence, and it spreads to the team. Um, and the Buccaneers, though, th th this was a big win for them. I think this is one of those wins where you keep Baker around and you maybe try to retool some stuff. And you think, hey, if we can hit on a couple draft picks, we can be in the same position again next year. Yes, that's fair. Do you want to break down and introduce us um, to the games coming up this week? Yeah, let's go ahead and get into the divisional round games. We're going to start with the Saturday games, the early Saturday game, which is the Houston Texans going to Baltimore to play the Ravens. 
The Ravens are a seven-point favorite. What are your first thoughts on this? I think the Ravens are going to win. Um, listen, there's something that the Cleveland defense didn't do with Jim Schwartz, who did an excellent job coaching the entire season. I think last season, too, he did an excellent job coaching uh, a great defense, uh, Cleveland's great defense. But everybody knows Houston. the Houston Texans' offensive line is garbage. They couldn't get past these motherfuckers. Baltimore's defense is right up there. If they can't get past Houston's offensive line, the Texans win the game. And they win the game by, I'll say seven. I'll say seven. The one issue I have, who, who are you going with in this game? If, if, and so I premise that on saying, if. Oh, make a, make a guess. Make a guess. Come on. Well, <laughs> I premise this by saying that if Baltimore's defense that is ranked high and has been ranked high all year and their secondary, if they can't get past Houston's offensive line, the Texans win. If they do, the Ravens win. That's what I'll say. I think this game comes down to how fast the Texans can start. If the Texans get a lead and they force the Ravens to kind of get away from their game, which is run the ball and then throw the ball off a of play action, I feel like that's not what the Ravens want to do is try to throw the ball 30 or 40 times in this game. I, I think the Ravens win this game. I will pick the Ravens. But this is one of those games where the Ravens, with their playoff history, they don't want to start slow because I think that would be the worst thing they could do. Then all the pressure starts going on them, and that's when you start to see mistakes made. It's what happened when they played Tennessee. It, it just It's what happened when they played the Bills in 2020. They are going to need to have a quick start and take control of this game from the beginning. I will pick I will pick the Ravens, but this game does concern me a little bit if they don't start fast. Our next I game. Our, our, ne our next game, the Saturday night game, Green Bay. Uh, the Green Bay Packers go to San Francisco to play the 49ers. San Francisco is an eight-and-a-half-point favorite. Okay, so I'm going to go with the Green Bay Packers. And I say this because the San Francisco 49ers have not played their starters in three to four weeks. And I think that the Green Bay Packers are a hot team right now. So I have to go with the hot hand. The, apparently the, the job that Matt LaFleur is doing is working and Jordan Love is playing like Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers in one person. He's playing, he's playing at a high level. So I do believe that Brock Purdy is going to keep it close, but I think that the Green Bay Packers win this game by three points. I'm always weary of going with the team that had a offensive breakout performance the week before, especially when they don't have a veteran quarterback. But I think I'm also going to go with the Packers in this game just because I, I'm really interested to see this game because if this game turns into a shootout, I don't know that San Francisco can win despite all the players they have. I don't know that San Francisco built to throw the ball 40 or 45 times with Purdy. And I think this game is going to end up being in the 30s. And I, I think the Packers win this game. Well, and not to mention the way Jair Alexander played and shut down CeeDee Lamb, who was the Dallas Cowboys' number one receiver, who did an excellent job just – killing it if he does that with these guys and he does it with Debo Samuel or Ayuk oh man they're in a fucking world of trouble and that gap that I said that they're only going to win by three is going to go to like fucking 17 well and the last time they got in a game like this and I know the defense is better for Baltimore but the game where you had Brock Purdy having to kind of make throws and you were playing down well it, it was the Ravens game and he looked like a complete mess and this is one of those games where if you're San Francisco you don't want to play from behind and the Packers, to me, have enough offensive players to make this a game where you have to keep throwing the ball and have to keep moving it. So I will go with the Packers in this game. We move to our Sunday games. The first game, the Buccaneers go to Detroit to play the Lions. Lions are a six-and-a-half-point favorite. I will go with the Lions in this game, but I think it's going to be much closer than people think. 
I think the Buccaneers will be able to hang around. But I, ultimately, I think the Lions have a better team, which is why they're going to win. I, I think the Lions are just a, I, I think Lions are a better team. I, I feel like this is going to be a game where the Buccaneers just hang around and they might have a chance maybe to take the lead late. But I feel like the momentum, the emotion in that building, I think they'll be able to win this game and host the NFC Championship game the next week. This is a game that I'm I'm torn on, obviously because the Rams lost, and I'm not going to get my um, I-70 Super Bowl. I've won it my whole life. I have to go with Detroit because I've been a huge fan of Detroit, and it goes back to me watching um, Home Improvement with Tim, with Tim Allen. You know, he was a massive Detroit Lions fan, and that's where I was introduced to the Lions. Um, and I'm glad that they won. But I like Baker, and I'm a huge fan of Mike Evans. But I think that the experience that the defense has on or in – you know, in Tampa is a huge factor that, that can be overlooked. These two teams, I believe played earlier in the year, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it's difficult to say, honestly, I don't know. I, I want to say the Lions because I don't want to go against the Lions because I want to see the Cinderella story, but Tampa Bay has its own Cinderella story too, with Baker Mayfield. You give Baker Mayfield more and more confidence as you just um, said in the last segment regarding the Philadelphia Eagles and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That's going to spread throughout the entire team, and they're going to want to play harder for each other. So just, I, I'm torn. I honestly don't know who to pick. Yeah, th- this game to me is going to be closer than people think. I'm, mainly because I just, I think the Buccaneers can take advantage of the Lions' inadequacies in the secondary. I think the Lions will be able to figure it out enough to win the game. But that is a concern for me is, can they cover Mike Evans? Can they cover Chris Godwin? Kate Otten, who's become a bigger part of that offense. I think the Bucks have more weapons than people want to give them credit for. Of course. A lot of it comes to Baker Mayfield and him playing a clean game. If he plays a clean game, the Bucs are going to have a chance to win. But ultimately, I think the Lions will just make one or two more plays. I think the emotions in that building will be – I think the crowd's going to be able to carry them to a victory. Isn't um, Trey Palmer – is he a rookie or no? He is a rookie this year. He played ga- – he, he played He played game. He played great in that game against Philadelphia. That's another weapon that people didn't even see coming. Is that fair? Uh, yeah, I mean – yeah, Trey Palmer, he's a supremely athletic player. He's got a lot of physical traits to him. He's one of those guys who could make a difference uh, for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because typically when you're moving guys around like that, he's going to get matched up against a lesser player. And in a team on a team like Detroit, who I think has a questionable secondary, I think he's a guy who could take advantage of that. Okay. Our last game for the divisional round weekend is are the Kansas City Chiefs going to Buffalo to play the Bills? The Bills right now are a three and a half point favorite. What are your thoughts on this one? Okay. So this is going to kind of go back to the last segment, um, but I'm not focusing on that. I'm just going to bring this up. Something I forgot to do and mention it, but I was kind of waiting for this segment. And Josh Allen is a really good quarterback, but Josh Allen self-destructs all the time, especially in the playoffs. That goes to what I was going to say about Jared Goff. Jared Goff played a clean game. Over the last stretch of the past eight games, he didn't play that great. Both these quarterbacks have a chance of fucking it up big time. And going back into who they can be, and that's a turnover machine. But I think Josh Allen will be stopped because he's going to get hit hit really, really hard. Um, More so than he usually is, and he's a big son of a bitch. But I also think that when he gets the way he's going to get hit because of our defense, I don't think they're going to stand a chance. I think we're going to blow them out by 10 points as long as – Travis Kelsey can catch a fucking ball and he'll get his first touchdown in 10 weeks and Taylor Swift doesn't come to the game. Well, you're a Taylor Swift hater. To me, this this game comes down to the Bills. You have to win this game. 
Uh, this is a game you can't afford to lose. If you lose this game, you really have to start thinking about blowing your roster up in having uncomfortable conversations about rebuilding or at least retooling your roster, maybe even getting rid of Sean McDermott. I will. I am tempted to take the Bills here just because this is a must-win game for them. They can't afford to lose this game. If they lose this game, you have to overhaul everything. I could definitely see that. I think I'm going to take the Bills just because they're in a they're in a must-win mode. You can't lose this game. This is a franchise-defining game for them. I will take them. I'm not comfortable taking them, but I will take them just because if you lose this game, we have to start having uncomfortable conversations around Josh Allen, and we have to start talking about them rebuilding that roster and maybe getting rid of their coach. So I will take them begrudgingly, but I don't feel overly confident about it. That's fair. And I could definitely see them winning by a landslide, too. Is that the rest of the games? That, that that will do it for uh, Division Around Weekend. Guys, we had a hell of a wild card weekend, and it was great games. Heartbroke. I, I had I suffered heartbreak because of the, the Rams and Matthew Stafford, Joe Flacco, Miles Garrett, and the Cleveland Browns. Um, but we saw some good things like Tampa Bay. We saw some good things like Detroit Lions. We saw some things that Jesse and I had spoken about for the entire year, and that's that the Miami Dolphins, a, a, a point that Jesse just pushed and pushed, they were extremely overrated because they didn't beat anybody. And he was right. You saw things like that come to the forefront um, of people who watch the NFL. The game between the Chiefs and the Dolphins, I would say that it is unfair, regardless if Peacock is paying the NFL $110 million for the game, the NFL or Peacock made a shit ton more money, more than $110 million. I think they said they broke the record for streaming because the record for streaming for an NFL game was with Amazon, I believe, at 13 million dollars, uh, 13 million people, or 15 million. Well, this game that just happened between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Miami Dolphins, I believe, hit 23 or 25 million, which broke all streaming records for an NFL game. Fans did not like the fact that they had to pay an additional fee for something that they used to enjoy just on basic cable. So this tells you that this is not going to be the last game that the, that the NFL does that for, and I think that's going to turn a lot of people off. Um, with the fan bases. If you got the trial good for you, I pay for Peacock anyways, but still, it's not fair to people who can't afford it. But we saw a lot of good games. We saw a, little, a lot of good things happen, and we got a lot more games that are coming up for wildcard week, and they're just going to be a lot more exciting. And I'm I'm hoping Lamar Jackson loses because I got people all around me all the time who are up Lamar Jackson's ass. And that's talking about him on a football player, as a football player on the field who's really good, but I don't like him because they like. I think he's a good person off the field. He does a lot of good community work. Um, but I'm hoping that Lamar Jackson loses. Anything else you want to add, Jess? I think that about does it. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. We will see you here in the next podcast. You don't stop happening in the world today. You don't. You don't. You don't. We need to make a change one day. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the Referendum Podcast brought to you by Finn Flam Sports. We would like to invite you to like us on all social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, wherever you can find somebody, we are there. TikTok, please like, subscribe, follow, whatever you can do to give us your support. We truly appreciate it. We hope to see you next time.